The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Another form is uh, focusing. Focusing. For there shall be, this is Proverbs 24, 20. For there shall be no reward to the evil man. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Now, notice uh, there's not only a statement. Alter suggests that you use little symbols and work through uh, uh, poetry or wisdom literature poetry, uh, however you find it in the Bible, he suggests a little equal sign for where you have a synonymous parallelism. And then he suggests uh, uh, this sign for when you have um, uh, complementary uh, uh, parallelism. Um, Uh, There And you you see how that complementary one develops. A whip for a horse, a bridle for an ass, a rod for the back of fools, uh, things that correspond to one another. Uh, For focusing uh, that that sign, uh, there the one, uh, there there shall be no reward to the evil man, the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Uh, You see, it's a more specific statement. Uh, No reward, in fact, the lamp will be put out. It becomes more pointed. And then there's what he calls consequentiality. The the consequentiality one he uses an arrow. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like unto him. Proverbs 26, 4. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. Now there's an outcome, a result. Uh, It becomes almost like a story that way. And then, of course, that one is uh, very uh, clever because uh, the next verse is... uh, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So you do a double take on that one, see. Uh, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him, but answer him according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Uh, You you give him more of the same. Uh, the, The hoary head is a crown of glory, it shall be found in the way of righteousness, Proverbs 16:31. Again, the, the consequence, the hoary head is a crown of glory. Uh, it is found in the way of righteousness. Then there's antithetic uh, parallelism, like two arrows going against each other. A kindly man does well for himself, but a cruel man harms his own flesh, Proverbs 11:17. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of feasting with strife. Uh, Two opposite ideas that are brought together. And then synthetic parallelism, which is uh, something you often hear about. He 
uses this parallel uh, kind of thing. A better is open rebuke than love that is hidden. Comparison. Clouds and wind without rain, he that boasts of his gifts falsely. Clouds and winds without rain, he that boasts of his gifts falsely. Proverbs 25, 14. In an expression like that, there are no verbal forms used in Hebrew at all. Just the two things are set beside each other. So uh, these I mention because uh, when you come to exegeting the Proverbs, explaining them, it's important to understand what kind of literature you're dealing with. And uh, if you uh, think through what the development is from the first uh, member to the second member of the comparison. If you think that through, that will be very helpful. And realize that usually there is development. Usually it's not just simply uh, synonymous. And because it's not just simply synonymous, you can't always exchange the elements in it. Uh, you, you can't define uh, a noun in one member by the presumably synonymous noun in the other member because uh, there may be some kind of development there. So that's the warning that you not think it's all simple uh, synonymity. <clears throat> now, uh, wisdom literature has a teaching format in it. It has mnemonic keys, things that would help us remember. And uh, uh, we pointed out that Samson's uh, statements, his little one-liners, uh, they are they're like aphorisms, you know, that he develops. And uh, uh, puns being used in them. I remember talking about the asses and the put the, the piling up the dead bodies in the masses and so on. Uh, the, um, the, the kind of uh, uh, puns that you find in the Old Testament are are concentrated in the wisdom literature. Uh, alliteration, uh, alphabetical acrostics like Psalm 111, Psalm 119, enumeration, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven that are an abomination of his soul. Now, uh, you see the rhetorical effectiveness of that. Six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven. And when you say that, what do you do? Well, you immediately prepare to count them. I mean, you're going to challenge this statement. Is he going to come up with six things that the Lord hates? But especially, what are you going to do? You're going to wait to hear what the seventh is. That's obviously going to be the payoff, right? So six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to his soul, haughty eyes. Now, what's everybody doing? <laughs> haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked purposes, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that utters lies. Now, you're saying, well, they're all pretty bad, aren't they? False witness, uh, uh, murder, shedding blood, uh, 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 haughty eyes, lies, breaking the Ten Commandments, right? One after the other. Uh, so, all ready for number seven. And what is it? And he that sows discord among brethren. Uh oh. <laughs> so you see how it's designed. Uh, the, the one that gets the emphasis is the one that trips up uh, the reader. 
you think you agree with all the others, oh sure, but then uh, he that sows discord among brethren, then you begin to wonder about that one. Uh, another form is repetition, and sometimes even a game aspect, almost like riddles, uh, things that draw you in and invite participation, uh, like the one I just read about answer a fool according to his folly and then say it again, don't answer him according to his folly. That becomes almost like a riddle. Why would you, yes, but no? <laughs> it makes you think about it. It becomes almost like a game. It draws you into it and stimulates you to think for yourself about it. Uh, so there are all these keys uh, for uh, reflection in wisdom. And of course, there, there are forms of literature too uh, the father-son uh, equal to teacher-pupil, uh, the address, my son, imperative, don't forget my words, motive, for they will prolong your life. Imperative, bind them around your neck, consequence, then you will win favor. You see, there, there are traditional forms that are used uh, to describe instruction. And of course, the fact that they are linked with the the law and in the New Testament with the gospel. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 23, 34 uh, sends that he, says that he will send wise men and scribes. Uh, he will uh, prepare wise men of the new covenant and send them. Uh, he will, <clears throat> and we are called to teach and make disciples, 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 uh, that uh, uh, we may make men and women wise unto salvation. Wise unto salvation. Uh, there is a, a new covenant wisdom of salvation. All sorts of literary forms in the uh, wisdom literature. Sayings, proverbs, riddles, parables, allegory, uh, sapiential narrative, things that happen, a didactic uh, discourse, a dialogue debate in the book of Job, uh, statements of blessings as in Psalm 1, uh, many, many different forms of wisdom literature. <clears throat> and uh, the theology of wisdom in the Old Testament, having looked at the literary forms just a wee bit, uh, let's think of the theology of wisdom in the Old Testament. And uh, the first is the objective principle of God's wisdom, Proverbs 9, uh, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The objective principle of wisdom is that God is the possessor of all wisdom. Job 28 describes a mining expedition for precious stones. Where would you find them? Where would you dig them out? And uh, Job says, well, if you dig long enough and far enough, you can dig out some precious stones. But uh, where do you find wisdom? Where would you dig wisdom out? And then at the very end of Job 28, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You've got to find wisdom with God because he is the possessor of it. And the Psalms extol the wisdom of God. His understanding is infinite, Psalm 147, 5. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. And then, of course, the remarkable passage in Proverbs 8, 
where wisdom is personified as the companion of God in his great work of creation. Uh, Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 8, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Uh, wisdom is uh, pictured as uh, a woman who is with God, la- Dame Wisdom, Lady Wisdom is with God from the beginning of the world, for, w- before the beginning of the world. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled and so on. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he made firm the skies, when he gave the sea its bound, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his habitable earth, and my delight was with the sons of men. <clears throat> so you see, uh, the, of course, uh, woman, uh, wisdom is thought of as a woman, as I mentioned uh, last hour, uh, partly because uh, chokhmah is a, a feminine noun, but uh, uh, there's the background, you see. In all the uh, work, in all the writing of the Proverbs, you have the contrast between the sinful woman uh, at the uh, on the street at the corner, street corner, and uh, summoning young men to follow her uh, as uh, she's a harlot trying to get uh, young men to follow her. And then, in contrast to that, you have Lady Wisdom in the street calling to men to follow her. Uh, don't go after that woman, but follow Lady Wisdom and learn uh, uh, continence and faithfulness and uh, uh, all the virtues that fulfill the law of God. Now, of course, this is a personification of God's attribute because God possesses wisdom. And to say that directly is to say uh, God created everything uh, through his attribute of wisdom. Uh, but to uh, personify the attribute uh, and then to say the wisdom was there, first of all, before all of creation, uh, that is uh, just, of course, a, a literary and dramatic way of saying the same thing. But, of course, it also prepares for the thought that is then picked up uh, when John, John's gospel refers to Christ as the Logos, the thought, namely, Uh, that uh, there is more to this than just a literary embellishment, uh, that there is indeed a personal wisdom, and that is the very Son of God. So uh, the attribute of God is to be found in the second person of the Trinity, and it's uh, in and through Jesus Christ that the creation of God is made. And so the figure in Proverbs 8 becomes the background for the affirmation in John 1 and in the later uh, statements about Jesus Christ as being wisdom. So uh, God is the possessor of all wisdom and God is the giver of all wisdom. Uh, He gives it in revelation and God's revelation, of course, is found in creation and in providence. Uh, Psalm 104, 24 uh, Proverbs 8, 22 and following, Psalm 19, 1, Psalm 111, uh, you find many statements of how God revealed his wisdom by his works of creation in Proverbs, but also by special revelation in his word. 
Of course, Psalm 119 is the great example of that. Uh, God has revealed his wisdom in his word. How shall a young man uh, direct his way? Uh, where does he get the wisdom to live his life? And, of course, the answer is through the word of God. <clears throat> and then, not only in revelation, but through the illumination of the spirit, uh, the skill of the craftsman that built the tabernacle is provided by the wisdom of the spirit. And, of course, notably, Solomon's wisdom is a divine gift, uh, but by which he is, his mind is enlightened to understand these things and to look at God's creation and perceive it uh, accurately and describe it. So there's the outward revelation and there's the inward illumination of the spirit that provides wisdom. <clears throat> and then there's the subjective appropriation of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Objectively, God has it and gives it. Subjectively, uh, how do we gain it? What does it mean for us? And there's the statement. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is, wisdom starts by that fundamental relationship to God himself. The relation of the creature to the creator, the relation of the one who is redeemed to the redeemer, the relation of the servant of the covenant to the Lord of the covenant. And it's uh, the subjective appropriation of that wisdom that is the fear of the Lord. It's the foundation of thinking, which means that there is the subordination and the limitation of human reason, that our thinking has to, be, has to begin with the fear of the Lord because we cannot be wise in our own eyes. Uh, Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. See, there it's all spelled out. Don't think that wisdom can uh, be your own ability. Don't think you can trust your own wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. But let all your wisdom begin with the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> and trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then out of that, there grows the fruitfulness of thought. Uh, that is to say, uh, the integration of the theoretical and the practical. Uh, to, to perceive God's plan in the world and to realize God's will in your own life. Uh, that's the point of wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. <clears throat> Now, of course, uh, this is a bigger subject uh, than we often realize. Uh, we tend to isolate the theoretical from the practical. Uh, we, we think of scientific knowledge as being uninfluenced by personal relationships. Uh, uh, to bring a personal relationship in it is like putting your thumb on the scale when you're weighing something in a scientific experiment, you see. Uh, you want to keep uh, isolated the theoretical and the practical. 
And we tend to think of knowledge uh, these days in terms of data banks and accessibility. Uh, if you can uh, uh, keep the data, process the data, and bring up the data, uh, then uh, you can uh, predict. Uh, and of course, uh, in a certain measure, that's possible. You get uh, uh, quite successful weather prediction uh, sometimes <laughs> by uh, uh, just cr uh, number crunching, by crunching the data. You have the uh, technical analysts on the stock market that uh, uh, don't care anything about how the companies run, but they just all they want is its numbers, and they can tell you by averages what it's likely to do. Uh, so uh, we begin to think that that's wisdom uh, because sometimes you can project tendencies. Uh, uh, storms usually follow this track. Uh, then you think that th that's all that uh, uh, wisdom consists of and fail to see that uh, uh, wisdom uh, must include the basic relationship that is foundational for human life, namely our relation to God. Uh, so uh, religion isn't just a little extra that you can throw on top for a completely happy life or something. Uh, religion becomes foundational even to understanding. Uh, and of course, that was Van Til's great point here in his years of teaching at Westminster. Uh, that you've, uh, you've got to begin with God. You can't bring him in later. And that uh, beginning with God changes everything because it changes what the object of knowledge ultimately is. Uh, we still tend to think in Greek terms. We still tend to think that there are uh, abstract uh, verities <laughs> Uh, to which uh, God has to subscribe. <laughs> uh, uh, if you're going to say that God's righteous, then you have to have a, a pre-existing uh, norm of righteousness to which he uh, pledges allegiance or something. And uh, uh, the whole idea that God is the very source of it all is uh, so hard for us to get, to, uh, to really, to recognize uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, we think of that as metaphorical. Uh, a man can't be the truth. He can speak the truth, but he can't be the truth. A man can give life, but he can't be the life. Uh, he can show the way, but he can't be the way. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we think of that as a metaphorical language. Uh, but it isn't. It really isn't. Uh, he is the truth because what is the fundamental, total, ultimate verity? The living God, right? You don't, uh, you don't develop your uh, categories first and then see if God fits them. Uh, uh, your, your basic understanding in this world has got to be an understanding of God. And if you don't fear him, if you don't know him, you really don't know anything properly. Now, you know, Van Til uh, never denied that there is a kind of knowledge we have. And he used to talk about borrowed capital 
uh, people uh, uh, live as though there were an ultimate reference, even though there isn't one. And <laughs> they uh, act as though there was a God, even when they, uh, uh, they well, they refuse to live in the situation of total chaos uh, that would be the case if there were no absolute, if there were no God. Uh, that would be the foundation, not only of uh, ethics, but the foundation of knowledge of wisdom, of truth. Uh, so, that's why we've got a good Van Til um, diagram here, the two circles. The official Van Til diagram fits. Uh, there's God, the Creator, and Lord, and Father, and here we are, His creatures, His servants, His children. And uh, He creates us. He is our Lord. He is our Father, giving us new birth in Him. And then the, the little lines are our re reaction to that, uh, our worship, our fellowship, uh, and also our service. Uh, you see, we, uh, we respond to what God does. And if you uh, take God out of the picture and try to make man the rebel, the, the circle, and everything is from him, then the upward reference becomes idolatry. <laughs> There's no God there, so you've created an idol, and that's what you worship. And uh, the outward reference uh, into being with a capital B, philosophical speculation, uh, uh, you use beautiful religious language the way Heidegger got, does, but uh, there's nothing there, ultimately. And uh, that, you see, is the, uh, uh, is the error uh, of uh, empty speculation. Uh, if you put the arrow downward, uh, what is it that's downward? Uh, oppression, racism, uh, 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 destroying others, making others to be things that you can use, uh, um, domination uh, over others, whether uh, sexual or, or uh, uh, racist or political. And then mysticism where man turns in on himself. Uh, thou art that. Uh, I am the divine. New age uh, thinking. So one way or the other, you see, uh, people try to make some sense out of life having denied the existence of God. Uh, but all those efforts uh, uh, are doomed to failure because the fear of the Lord is uh, the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of uh, all wisdom. <coughs> And then you have the redemptive uh, context of wisdom. Uh, wisdom uh, is, uh, appears in the fullness of blessing, uh, in Israel's wisdom, uh, but also in the wisdom of Israel's king. I did talk about that earlier, although it fits in here when we think about the outline. Uh, Deuteronomy, the uh, fourth chapter, uh, is the reference for uh, Israel's wisdom uh, being uh, displayed before the nations. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, uh, 2 and 6. Uh, you shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And then down in verse 6. Uh, keep uh, therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's that shall hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
You know, what John Perkins just told us uh, certainly applies here. Uh, people cannot live uh, without uh, order in their lives. Uh, there has to be an ethical dimension, and an ethical dimension means uh, there is oughtness in life. You are not free to do uh, anything you choose, anytime you choose, and, and to, to have an ethical foundation really requires a theistic basis. And uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the disorder in the black community uh, that is the result, as John Perkins was saying, of uh, the rap theology. Uh, the disorder uh, just cries out for some ordering. And uh, when Islam comes in with uh, a theistic claim uh, and showing in practice that ordering does take place, it becomes enormously attractive. Uh, but you see, it's, it's, it's basically... Uh, of course, there you're, you're getting a, a distortion of uh, the, the Christian message. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it becomes perfectly evident that uh, wisdom cannot be founded merely in data accumulation. Wisdom appears in the Bible at the time of the fullness of blessing, but wisdom also points to the promise. And it points to the promise. Oh. Yeah, time. Well, we got started late, so uh, let me finish this one section, and then you just, uh, let's just stretch in here as soon as I get done, and then go on, because I, I want to wind it up, and we don't have much time. Okay, uh, wisdom points to the promise. First, in the unresolved issues that wisdom exposes. Uh, and the unresolved issues uh, are the issues like, why do the righteous suffer? Uh, Job 9.22, Job 10.3, Ecclesiastes 8.14, all through the wisdom literature you get this. The righteous are suffering, and why? And what about the vanity that is brought by death? Now you see how it fits in to this period of the history of redemption. Because God made all these promises, didn't he? And he kept them. And so they have the land. They have uh, uh, the king, Solomon. Uh, I mentioned those two great pillars that uh, Ray Dillard used to talk about, the king and the temple. Well, they have the king. They have the temple. Uh, every man under his own fig tree, every man with his own vine and his own house and his own inheritance. He's received his lot and his inheritance in the land. God's given all these things, you see. But then there's an aspect of that. And you see plainly what it is. Is this all there is? We have a king, but do we have perfect justice? No. Uh, we have the land, our inheritance, but we're going to die. And won't death cancel it all out? Is this all that God's going to do? You see how that question must arise at that point of the fulfillment of receiving everything. See, it's, in a way, it's like the suburbanite that has finally moved out into the ideal home and has enough uh, income to pay for it and all that, and then finds out that suddenly uh, he's 50 years old. Yeah. So now what? Uh, it, it makes... Uh, you see the point. The question arises inevitably. And then, of course, the other kind of problem that arises 
is not just how death seems to cancel everything, uh, but the problem about the evil nations, the, the wicked kingdoms, the kingdoms that can be likened to beasts coming up out of the sea. Uh, how can there be such savage injustice as is evident in uh, the rapacious invasions of major uh, powers? <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the Assyrians who were so vicious in the way they fought war, you know, you, Look in the British Museum at their great collection of, uh, of uh, uh, bas-reliefs uh, from uh, Assyrian uh, uh, victory celebrations and these uh, carved in stone, you know, and, and all the enemies impaled on stakes, you know, sharpened stakes, and you just take a man and jam them jam him down on it until he dies. Uh, that kind of savagery all over the Near East. See? Well, when, when things like that are happening, then uh, uh, what, what about this? What, what are, isn't there something else? Isn't there more to God's promise than what we've received up till now? Uh, so that's the question that is raised by uh, the wisdom literature. And that's the question then that has to be formulated, it has to be answered. And so uh, that's why you have Ecclesiastes and why you have these, uh, these difficult questions being asked uh, so that we might be pointed uh, to the answer. Okay, now uh, let's take just a five-minute break and I want to talk about Christ, the Lord of Wisdom. <clears throat> that Christ is the Lord of wisdom and that uh, in Matthew 11, 29 and 30, uh, you see Christ making this claim uh, to be indeed uh, the, the Lord of wisdom uh, because uh, he calls us to himself and he calls us uh, in wisdom language. Notice that in Matthew 11, uh, he says, in verse 19, uh, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a drunkard, a friend of publicans and sinners, and wisdom is justified by her works. Now there he speaks of wisdom in the feminine, uh, using the language that's familiar from the Old Testament. Uh, wisdom is justified by her works. But then notice he's still using wisdom language uh, when he gives his uh, prayer uh, because uh, he says in verse 25 of Matthew 11, At that season Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and understanding and didst reveal them unto babes. See, there it is. Uh, the wise men of this world don't receive the wisdom of God, but little children do. Yes, Father, for so it was well-pleasing in my sight. And now he comes, I want to skip over the next two verses for a moment, but look at 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
Now I want to read to you a passage from the end of the book of Ecclesiasticus, the wisdom of the son of Sirach, not Ecclesiastes, mind you, but Ecclesiasticus. Ecclesiasticus 51.23. Draw near to me, you who are untaught, and lodge in my school. Why do you say you are lacking in these things, and why are your souls very thirsty? I opened my mouth and said, Get these things for yourselves without money. Put your neck under the yoke, and let your soul receive instruction, for it is to be found close by. See with your eyes that I have labored little and have found for myself much rest. Now, you see how remarkably close the vocabulary is. But you see also the astonishing difference that uh, the son of Sirach calls us to learn of wisdom. He'll instruct you in wisdom that is to be found close by. Uh, But Jesus calls us to learn of him. I am meek and lowly in heart and to take my yoke upon you. Uh, You see, it is not just that Jesus is a wisdom teacher gaining disciples. It's stronger than that. He's stepping into the role of wisdom. And what would justify uh, such a claim? Come to me, take my yoke. My yoke is the yoke of wisdom. Well, what justifies it is what Jesus has just said in verse 27. All things have been delivered unto me of my Father, And no one knows the Son, save the Father. Neither does any know the Father, save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son wills to reveal him. There it is. Uh, Why is Christ the wisdom? Uh, Well, he is wisdom because he is the exclusive revealer of the Father. Only the Son can reveal the Father. Uh, Some of you know uh, Chip Stonehouse. He was here in the uh, chapel time this morning. He does uh, 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 church planning uh, work and uh, supervises church planning work in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, His father, you know, uh, Ned B. Stonehouse, taught here for many years. Uh, I remember an an incident one time after Dr. Stonehouse's death that uh, there was a debate in the General Assembly and uh, some... uh, debaters started appealing to the views of Dr. Stonehouse as a way of supporting his side of the argument. And uh, when he finished, uh, Chip Stonehouse got up and said, uh, well, that was very interesting, but actually uh, my father did not believe what uh, he was just uh, alleged to have believed. In fact, this is what my father believed. And then he proceeded to give us, fill us in on the picture. Now, somehow or other, uh, the assembly respected Chip Stonehouse's description of Dr. Stonehouse's views more than the description by the other fellow. Uh, Well, you see, uh, I'm making the point uh, that a son does have, even among us, uh, a certain knowledge of his father, you know. And see, what Jesus is claiming is exclusive divine sonship. He is the son. And of course, he's, uh, I, I wanted you to get the analogy there. See, he is a son who knows the father. 
And because he's the only son who is the only divine son, he is the only one who knows the father. And he's the only one who can make the father known. And if any claim could be made even greater, it's the reverse, that only the father knows the son and only the father can make the son known. So that if Jesus knows, uh, if uh, Peter knows that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him, but the father who's in heaven. So it is uh, the father who makes the son known as it is the son who makes the father known. And therefore, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Uh, I am the teacher of wisdom. So Jesus' call is the summons of the Son, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Uh, Jesus says, the works that I do are the works that I have seen my Father do. The words that I speak are the words that I heard from my Father. I know the Father. Uh, You think you know him, but you don't, Jesus says. But I do. I do know the Father, and the Father is the one who bears witness of me. Uh, Job's search comes to an end. Uh, Wisdom has been found, because now the incarnate wisdom is among us. The alpha light of the Father's knowledge of the Son and the omega light of the Son's knowledge of the Father. And Jesus speaks to us the word of full wisdom. Uh, Jesus uh, reveals to us the divine source of the law. Jesus keeps opposing the Pharisees who uh, create the law like the drop ceiling in this room. Uh, the, you know, it's, uh, here are, here's the motor vehicle code for righteous living. Uh, You remember all these uh, do's and don'ts and you earn your way to heaven. And uh, Jesus sweeps all that aside, you see, by, well, not aside, but uh, he lifts it all upward. It's not just the law that you're related to, it's the father that you're related to. And it's the question of what the father says to you. Uh, So again, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's seeing not uh, an arbitrary outward legalism, but hearing the voice of God and what it is that he has said in his words given by revelation. So there's the divine source of the law, and Jesus has the right tradition because he has that which is given to him by the Father. The Father has put everything into his hands Uh, So there's that kind of traditio, the handing over, uh, the the truth, the wisdom, the knowledge of God is given to the Son, and the Son gives it to us. And in his revelation, he reveals the Father, but in his revelation, he also reveals himself. So that you have uh, the wisdom of Christ revealed to us. The wise man is the one who builds his house on the rock, And the uh, foundation of wisdom is the commitment of faith. Uh, It's fascinating to see how in the Dead Sea Scrolls there's a connection uh, between the soth as uh, uh, the uh, soth can mean both count sill and count cell. And uh, uh, the community is founded on the soth, which is uh, uh, the, the, the count the counsel of God 
but that soth also describes uh, the, the, the community as the council of God. And, and Peter's uh, confession uh, fits in with the language of the Dead Sea community uh, because in the Dead Sea community it is also said uh, that uh, the community must be established upon the rock, uh, the rock of uh, the council of God. Uh, so uh, here is that wisdom of God on which everything rests, but given to us personally in Jesus Christ. And the, the call of the Son, therefore, is the call to uh, the Father and the wisdom of the Father, but also a call to himself. So the coming of Christ into the world is the revelation of wisdom. Uh, John chapter 3, just let's look at that for a moment. Uh, Nicodemus came to see Jesus by night, and uh, he said, we believe that you are a teacher come from God. And uh, Jesus didn't act the way a rabbi would have acted, uh, a little-known rabbi making the big time, you know, (laughs) And one of the actual members of the Sanhedrin says, we believe that you've come from God. And Jesus doesn't say, uh, well, uh, this, is, this is delightful. I'm, I'm glad that one of you people has got the picture and recognizes me. Uh, Jesus responds in a totally different way. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, Nicodemus, uh, you don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, But Nicodemus did say, you've come from God. And uh, Jesus has to show Nicodemus how much more he needs to understand. And so he begins to teach him about the new birth. And Nicodemus doesn't understand it. How can anybody be born again when he's... uh, He's old, he can't re-enter his mother's womb, that's absurd. So uh, what are you talking about? And uh, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus, remember, are you a teacher from Israel, and you, uh, of Israel, and you don't know these things? And uh, uh, what is it that Nicodemus should have known? Well, Jesus had said, except one be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, water and the spirit, uh, the new birth by water and the spirit. Nicodemus should have known that. Um, because he was a teacher in Israel, and he therefore should have known it. Uh, Are you a little puzzled by that sometimes? Why should he have known the new birth from the Old Testament? Well, well, Jesus gave him plenty of clues, because he talked about uh, the water, uh, except you were born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that should have uh, clued Nicodemus in as to what passage Jesus had in mind. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, verse uh, chapter 36, verse 25. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. And from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep them. So there it is, water and the spirit, the the cleansing and the renewing. 
Uh, and this is in some hidden passage tucked away in an obscure corner of the Old Testament. Uh, this is right preceding the passage that every Israeli would know, the passage in 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, and how Israel will be brought back from its death and captivity and be given new life by the inbreathing of the Spirit of the Lord. So uh, Jesus says, in effect, to Nicodemus, uh, you should have known these things. It's right there. It's in the Old Testament. And then Jesus says, uh, how can I uh, tell you about heavenly things if you don't even understand earthly things? Uh, the new birth is something that happens right here on this planet. It's uh, the work of God, but uh, you, you don't even understand that when I talk to you about new birth. How could you understand if I tell you heavenly things? Now, what's Jesus beginning to think about when he talks about heavenly things? Well, of course, uh, the introduction that Nicodemus had. He, uh, Nicodemus says, I, be I believe that you are sent from God. Uh, that is to say, you've come from heaven. <laughs> you've been sent by God. Uh, but uh, uh, Jesus knows that Nicodemus doesn't really understand how true it is that he was sent from God. <laughs> he was indeed sent from God. And so what does Jesus say? Verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. Hear that? No one except the Son of Man uh, is one who can ascend to heaven because only he has come from heaven. Now, what's Jesus alluding to there in that statement? Wisdom literature, Proverbs chapter 30, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. Uh, Agur says, verse 2 of Proverbs 30, Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man, and I have not learned wisdom, neither have I knowledge of the Holy One. Well, he's right, equating wisdom with knowledge of the Holy One. He's got that straight. And he says, I don't have it. Well, he's uh, presumably uh, speaking as a wise man. And these are the words of Agur, etc. This is an oracle. So uh, he, he says, I don't have it. I, I'm not wise. Very modest, but not so modest as he goes on. Uh, because what he says is, I haven't learned wisdom or knowledge of the Holy One, but who has? Who has ascended up into heaven and descended? Uh, who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who is that one up there in heaven that could be checked out? Uh, who has bound the waters in his garments? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know it? And uh, uh, Jesus picks that up, see? Uh, Agur had said that uh, who has ascended up into heaven and descended? And Jesus answers the question. No one has ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, and talking about the Son of the Holy One, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. And uh, although the who is in heaven doesn't have as much uh, manuscript support as other reading uh, uh, a lot of uh, even critical scholars support it because it's so hard to imagine it having been added later. If Jesus is sitting talking to Nicodemus, uh, why would he say who is in heaven? 
of course, it's a, it's a claim to his own uh, uh, deity and his oneness with the Father. But uh, to skip that, whether or not that's included, I'm inclined to think it is. Uh, but Jesus picks up that word. Who has ascended into heaven? You know, we're used to uh, TV. We can always call in uh, the man or the woman who's on the spot, right? Uh, nothing happens without a commentator being on the spot. Uh, I don't know whether it's they get them there so fast or whether you don't cover anything unless there's somebody there. But anyway, uh, there, there's always our man in Ankara or our man wherever. And uh, so uh, what the, why do you want to bring in the man who's there? Well, you want the direct report. You don't want secondhand information. Uh, uh, you want him uh, uh, standing there where you can hear the, uh, the, um, uh, the fire, uh, the, the uh, explosions going off behind him and so on. You want to see him standing with the fires burning in back of him. Uh, he's really there. Now, you want... You want your man in heaven, don't you? If you want to know wisdom, if you want to know what's going out, going on, don't you want to call in the man from heaven? Uh, so that's what Agur's saying. Uh, who does know anything about it? Who's been up there to check it out and brought us back word again? Uh, he wasn't thinking of television yet. He thought you had to go there and come back, see? So he says, who's gone up there to check it out and brought us back word from it? And Agur says... Uh, Agur's implying nobody. Nobody's gone up to heaven to check it out and bring back word. Uh, so I don't know, but nobody else knows either. Uh, but Jesus answers that, see. He says, yes, there is one who goes up to heaven. <laughs> but the one who goes up happens to be the one who came down. <laughs> and then when he says, even the Son of Man... Uh, that ties in with Daniel 7, you see. And Daniel 7 sees the Son of Man coming from heaven on the clouds of heaven uh, to receive the throne from the Ancient of Days and uh, to receive the kingdom that lasts forever and ever. And so Jesus uh, is uh, introducing himself uh, to uh, Nicodemus as the one who will go to heaven because he's the one who's come from heaven. And uh, then, what's the next statement? He uses the language again of going up, of being lifted up now. Because he says, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth uh, may in him have eternal life. <clears throat> well, you don't expect that, do you? Jesus says, I can tell you heavenly things. And I don't have to go there to get the information. I've come there from there in the first place. I've come from heaven. I can tell you heavenly things. And I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to be lifted up from this earth, lifted up to go to heaven. And uh, as it's written, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so. Will I, will I be lifted up? You see? Now, lifted up like that? How is the serpent lifted up? 
Well, you know the story in Numbers. Uh, uh, it was the second generation of the Israelites that were falling into the same traps that the first generation had done. They were starting the same rebellion, murmuring and all that. So God has to punish them uh, very severely and very promptly so that the second generation won't repeat the story of the first generation. And so uh, God sends these venomous serpents among them and they begin to bite the people and they start to die and the people cry out to God. And God tells Moses to make a serpent of bronze and put it on a staff. And uh, I presume that that staff was Moses' rod. It's a word that's used for Moses' rod in other contexts. Uh, put, the, put that uh, uh, serpent on, on the rod. And then everyone who looks to that serpent will live. Now, that's sometimes misunderstood. Uh, the serpent wasn't put on the rod like an idol. You look to an idol to receive life. They did later worship it, and had, it had to be called Nahushtan, a thing of brass, and destroyed. But see, God didn't lift it up as an idol. Look to this as a place from which you derive life. That wasn't the point. Uh, I think you'll understand the point best if you think of a real live snake and a spear, see? And, and you see that snake there, and you got a spear, and you spear it, right? And then you hold it up. Look, <laughs> there it is. It's, uh, it's done for. Uh, the, the serpent being held up means it's held up as a sign of the victory over it. For what is the serpent? It's the symbol of sin and death, isn't it? It's the source of, uh, of the poison. It's the curse. It's the accursed thing that's lifted up. The accursed thing lifted up. And you look at that accursed thing, the serpent triumphed over uh, on this rod, held up and exhibited. Uh, you look at it and you live because you see God has given you the victory over that threat, that threat of the curse of sin and death. And of course, that's exactly uh, how Paul uses it. Uh, Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And you know how he also says uh, that because as a Pharisee he was sure Christ could not, Jesus could not be the Christ uh, because he had been crucified. And it says in Deuteronomy, uh, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So Jesus had been lifted up as the accursed one. And therefore he knew that he couldn't be the Messiah. And then when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, uh, then he knew that he was the Messiah, even though he had been made the accursed thing. And then uh, through the revelation of the Spirit and his own uh, prayer and uh, 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 reflection, uh, the Apostle Paul discovered not only that Jesus was uh, the Christ in spite of being the accursed one, but he was the Christ because he was the accursed one, uh, because he had been lifted up. Uh, because he was made sin for us. Uh, therefore, uh, he delivers us from uh, the penalty and the judgment of sin. So Jesus says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the Gospel of John substantiates this idea of Jesus' lifting up being initially his lifting up to the cross. Uh, John 12, Jesus says, I, if I be lifted up, verse 32, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. 
Now, in the Gospel of John, the cross is thought of as Christ's victory. And uh, it has that implication. Uh, He will be lifted up from the earth. See, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be, and I, uh, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. See, he casts out the prince of this world. He's victorious over him. He's lifted up. But then John tells us again what we wouldn't have expected. Uh, John tells us, but this he said, signifying by what manner of death he should die. Lifted up. Lifted up first a few feet from the ground on the cross, but lifted up in a movement that carried him by the resurrection and the ascension to the very presence of the Father. No one goes to heaven, but the one that came from heaven, and he's going to go back to heaven. And how will he go back? By the way of the cross. That's the theology of John's gospel. That was the teaching of Jesus. And there, you see, is the heart of wisdom the heart of wisdom is in Calvary where you see the wisdom of God and that's why Paul writes as he does in 1 Corinthians that which is foolishness to men is the wisdom of God to our salvation and that which is the wisdom of God will prevail so Man's wisdom is foolish in God's sight. God's wisdom is foolish in man's sight. But the wisdom that has power is the wisdom of God. Uh, Paul uh, emphasizes that again and again. But that wisdom of God, you see, is not like the wisdom of men. And uh, Jesus says, come to me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. Christ in his meekness uh, goes to the cross for us and uh, thereby uh, we gain rest. He gives his yoke to us that we might wear it, but he takes uh, not a yoke but the cross. And by taking the cross, he establishes the wisdom of God which runs completely contrary uh, to the wisdom of men. Um, all the instruction of Jesus uh, centers really on uh, the work of salvation that he has come to do. And uh, I skipped, you see, I I was talking about the summons and then talking about uh, the meekness of wisdom and Calvary as the wisdom of God. Uh, But uh, we must not forget either that uh, Jesus' forms of teaching are wisdom teaching. Uh, Beatitudes, that's a wisdom form. Uh, Exposition, controversy. Uh, Think of the uh, dialogues in Job. Uh, The parables. Uh, The uh, apocalyptic uh, teaching of Jesus in the little apocalypse in Matthew. The times and seasons that Jesus... uh, Uh, speaks of. All of these things are the forms of wisdom that Jesus uses in his teaching. Uh, But all of them uh, center on Jesus Christ himself. A greater than Solomon is here. Uh, The one in whom all the blessing of God is concentrated is Jesus Christ the Lord. And therefore, uh, 
when we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, that becomes in the New Testament language that believing in Christ is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, trusting in him, finding him who is the way and the truth and the life. Uh, this is uh, the secret of wisdom uh, because all of it uh, centers on him. Learn of me, Jesus says, the lowly Lord. Learn of him, the suffering Savior. Learn from him in his temptation uh, the wisdom of his obedience. Uh, we don't have time to look at that, but the temptation narratives that Jesus answers out of Deuteronomy are narratives that show the wisdom of obedience to God. And of course, ultimately, uh, the Calvary as the fullness of God's wisdom. And through the wisdom of God at Calvary, you have the resolution of all the problems that the wisdom literature of the Old Testament faces. Uh, what about the kingdoms of this world? What about the evil powers? Well, Jesus has conquered them all. You have the book of Revelation and you see the destruction of the powers of this world and the utter and final establishment of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. You think about the problem of the righteous suffering. And as I, we were talking about this the other day, uh, the whole problem is completely transformed through Jesus Christ uh, because he has suffered the righteous for the unrighteous and therefore redeemed by his atoning blood, uh, we can no longer uh, seek to establish our own righteousness, but we must put our trust in him. And then in that way, walking on that path, the amazing thing is that suffering is transformed into communion with Christ in his sufferings. You see... Uh, Christ having paid the penalty of sin, we no longer are punished by God's wrathful judgment. Uh, Christ bore all the wrath of God for us. Therefore, any suffering that we endure, not only persecution directly for Christ's sake, but any suffering, illness, uh, any problems that come in our lives, they come because we've been left in this world, which is still under the curse. And don't you see that uh, uh, legally uh, we uh, can be removed from this world any time. And Jesus prayed for his own that they would see him in his glory. And he will one day take you to see him in his glory. Uh, but he hasn't done so yet. Well, if he's going to do so and he hasn't done so, what you suffer here is not punishment for your sin. What you suffer here may be discipline by which God is uh, leading you into paths of righteousness and for which you ought therefore to be grateful. Or if not for disciplinary purposes, it is fellowship with Christ's sufferings. See, you don't have to have it, but you get it. Why do you get it when you don't have to have it? For Jesus' sake. He's left you here to be his witness. He's left you here to live for him. And therefore, the suffering that you have in this life has been transformed. 
And so you're no longer going to say, oh, Lord, why me? Why should I suffer? Uh, Because you know, oh, why him? Uh, Why should he cry, lama sabachthani, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? So uh, here is Christ in whom we see the uh, resolution of the problem of the righteous suffering. And then Jesus sends us into the world as uh, those who are purveyors of his wisdom, the wisdom of the cross. Uh, Matthew 23, 34, Behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of them you shall kill and crucify. Uh, Luke eleven forty nine also talks about how Christ sends the wisdom of God. I will send unto them Jesus as the wisdom of God says, I will send unto them prophets and apostles and some of them they shall kill and persecute. The uh, blessing that we receive is the richly indwelling word of Christ, the apostolic revelation of wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Unto us God revealed them through the Spirit. And the wisdom of God prevails against all the wisdom of the archons of this world. Paul, surveying the history of redemption, Romans 9 to 11, concludes with those wonderful words, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Uh, Who's been his counselor? Who's instructed him in wisdom? Uh, No one. God has all wisdom, but uh, uh, we find our wisdom in him. Now, we find it by meditating on the word of Christ. And uh, we won't have time to deal with this now, but uh, there's some material in your uh, outline that you can use. It's the fascinating way in which Paul keeps speaking of the proving of wisdom. Prove that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God, Romans 12, 2. Uh, Paul keeps talking about proving things out in practice. Now, you see, that means uh, that you can't simply uh, get in advance all that God's will for your life is. Uh, Wisdom is gained in actual living. You learn more about wisdom in the choices you make in the midst of your actual lives. Now, uh, you see, uh, Americans don't like that. Uh, They want instant answers and no more than 12 steps. Uh, I mean, that's extraordinary to have 12 and not three. Uh, You really only want one. Just take the pill and... uh, Uh, It knocks you out for the night and energizes you for the morning and gives you wisdom and knowledge and everything else. Uh, But uh, that's what Americans are interested in. And so they want instant guidance and they yearn for the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, You know that was in the breastplate of the high priest. And uh, remember when uh, David, the outlaw from Saul, finally got access to the Urim and the Thummim? Boy, did he put it to use right away. Uh, first, uh, uh, here was the problem. Saul was still chasing him, and he was mighty tired of it, and uh, running all around the wilderness. And uh, there was a town that owed him one. He had delivered a town from uh, the Philistines and given, given them their freedom. 
So he had a bright idea. He would go to that town that he had delivered and live there, and then he'd be safe from Saul. Sounded good. But he just had a biothar. He just had the Urim and the Thummim. And uh, so he asked, if I go to that town, uh, will Saul pursue me there? Yes. I don't know how the Urim and Thummim worked, but it was on the binary principle, just like a computer, I guess, and plus or minus. So uh, this came out minus. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yes, uh, Saul will uh, plus, right? He asked, would he pursue me? Yes, he would, plus. Uh, he, He will pursue you there. Okay, next question. You all know what it is. If, uh, they, if Saul pursues me there, will the people of the town give me up to Saul? Answer, yes. Takes care of that. He's not going to go to the town. Now, now don't you want that? Don't you want the Urim and the Thummim? Wouldn't you like to buy it at a Bible bookstore? And, uh, you know, you, just, you could put it on your wrist and then you could push it and uh, it would glow either red or green. Never yellow, never yellow. That's the trouble. Too many things come up yellow, see? You want red or green, and it, that's what it will give you. And that way, uh, you could live your life perfectly, couldn't you? You'd know every time what the will of the Lord is. Uh, yes or no, I do it or I don't do it. And, and if you can't buy it at a religious bookstore, then you want to create it somehow. And so you'll create it by uh, Gideon's fleece, you know. You'll give Lord, uh, Lord a decision uh, you give him an objective test to take, and now he hasn't agreed to take it, but you give it to him anyway. Uh, if such and such and such and such happens, then I'll know that it's your will that I do it. And if it doesn't happen, I'll know it's your, not your will that I do it. So I'll make my own Urim Thummim arrangement. Uh, and uh, then if not the uh, fleece, then it's the emotional Urim and Thummim. See, uh, I'm going to, uh, should I do this or shouldn't I? I tell you, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go out, so I'm going to do it. See, now I'm going to do it. Now, quick stop, spot check. How do I feel about it? Uh, oh, I feel rotten. I feel absolutely rotten. Okay, not the Lord's will that I do it. Issue settled. Uh, or, of course, obviously, I feel great. Oh, obviously, Lord's will. Lord told me to do it because I, I put the test and I felt great and I did it. Now, uh, you know, a remarkable th- point about that is um, it often works. It very often works. Uh, it works sometimes, of course, because we have a conscience. And, uh, and you start to do something and you feel rotten. And the reason you feel rotten, you know perfectly well it's wrong. You knew that all along. You, you just were trying to kid yourself because you wanted to do it. So uh, a lot of times it works for that reason. Other times it works just because our God is so merciful. And he knows that you think you'll be led that way. And... Uh, uh, he accommodates to you <laughs> in order to get you through. <laughs> so uh, the Lord may mercifully do anything, and these may work and uh, all that, uh, but, um, but really, uh, why, why doesn't the Lord give us instant guidance? And the answer is he wants us to grow in wisdom. See? And uh, uh, here's a little boy. He's three years old. He says to his father, Daddy, I want to go out and play. Uh, and uh, his father says, well, it's almost supper time, but, uh, yeah, you can go out for a few minutes right there in the yard. Don't go outside the yard. Be, be ready, and we'll call you for supper. Fine, great. Everything normal, right? Three-year-old boy, great. Uh, now, um, uh, 16 years go by, right? And uh, the phone rings. The father picks it up, and it's his son. 
and he's uh, off at university now, a thousand miles away. And he says, Daddy, may I go out for a little while before I go to the dorm to eat my dinner tonight? And you say, that little lad is retarded. <laughs> and, uh, well, there, there, are parent, there are parents... There are parents that bring up their children that way. They want to make all the decisions for the kid. Let him make none himself. And then they're astonished when he goes off the deep end later. They, they want to direct his life totally, you know, make all his decisions. But you see, uh, do you believe this, that the Lord wants to teach you something? <laughs> that he's trying to lead you along and build up uh, your maturity? And that's what wisdom is. Now, now, don't get me wrong either. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't sometimes lead us by impressions or we pray about things and then we have a conviction we should do them. I don't say the Lord doesn't do that. Uh, but I am saying this, that the degree of certainty that you have with respect to the Lord's will in any given circumstance is always directly proportional to the degree of certainty with which you can see how the word of the Lord applies to it. See? It's not saying that uh, the Lord can't use impressions or feelings or uh, you had a dream about something and now you feel you ought to do it. The Lord can use things like that. Of course he can. But the thing is, the danger is that you will claim certainty with respect to some things that God doesn't give certainty on because he's building you up to prove them out, to test them, to find out what does really serve the Lord in all these different given situations. So that final little bit is to, uh, uh, to show you that the study of wisdom is important. Use of Proverbs is important. Uh, it isn't for nothing that uh, some men have read the uh, chapters of Proverbs. Billy Graham reads a chapter of Proverbs, at least for years, read it every day, a chapter for Proverbs. It counts so much to think prudently, to act prudently, to grow in wisdom, and to teach people in the churches uh, the importance of developing in that wisdom, which is grounded in faith, begins at the cross of Calvary. So... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll conclude at this point then.